Thanks for downloading this podcast from Burghead Free Church in Murray, Scotland. We exist to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Our vision is to grow to be a vibrant all-age church of 100 disciples. Find out more at burgheadfreechurch.org. A Psalm of David, Psalm 26. Vindicate me, Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord and have not faltered. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind, for I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. I do not sit with the deceitful, nor do I associate with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, Lord, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling all of your wonderful deeds. Lord, I love the house where you live, the place where your glory dwells, do not, take my, do not take away my soul along with sinners, my life with those who are bloodthirsty, in whose hands are wicked schemes, whose right hands are full of bribes. I lead a blameless life. Deliver me and be merciful to me. My feet stand on level ground. In the great congregation, I will praise the Lord. Here's a question. What's on your phone? What calls, what texts, what content, what messages sent and received? Is there anything on there that you'd be embarrassed for others to see? Um, Anything you'd rather hide away? I mention that because this week I kind of stumbled across some articles on whether or not husbands and wives should allow each other access to their phones so they could be sort of completely honest and transparent about who they were contacting and what they were viewing. Um, I should say Morag is is welcome to look at my phone. Occasionally she does. Uh, When she does, she will find lots of work emails, plenty of mindless Facebook scrolling, because we're all a bit addicted, aren't we? And all of those annoying games that the kids keep putting on there that I keep deleting, and then they add again and again. So much for our phones. I guess these days, for many of us, our phones are like a microcosm of our lives. What if our lives could be read in the same way that our phones can? What if our thoughts and our motives could be exposed? What if our deepest desires were made visible? Would you be willing to let others examine that? Anyone who's done the Christianity Explored course will will know that there's a kind of arresting moment in in week three where where, uh, the the course is talking about sin and and it has this sort of image of of what if your life was recorded on a tape and that tape was going to be showed um, on a big screen for all to see. How would you feel about that? Well, all of that gets us to the heart of this psalm because in this psalm, David, who wrote it, is willing to invite that kind of scrutiny on his life. And there's our first point on the sheet and on the screen. Nothing to hide. 
Look at verse 1. He says, Vindicate me, Lord, for I have led a blameless life. Now that word vindicate there really means judge. More literally, he's saying, judge me, Lord, or examine me, scrutinize me, look carefully at me. And you get that sense because of the way he goes on in verse 2. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. So David is willing to have God closely examine his heart because he is wholeheartedly committed to God. He says, verse 1, I have led a blameless life. Now look, at this point, I reckon you might think that sounds a bit fishy. David says he's blameless. But if you've got half a memory, you'll remember where we were two weeks ago in Psalm 25 when David said, do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. And verse 8, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. So in the previous psalm, David says he's a sinner. And add to that what we know from the rest of the Bible, we know that we are all sinners. So you might very well ask, how come David now says that he's blameless? Well, the answer is in understanding what that word blameless means. We tend to think that it means faultless or perfect. But the word that's translated blameless there really means something more like, I've led a wholehearted life. Or you might say, I've lived with sincerity or or integrity. David is not saying he's faultless, and one look at his life and the Psalms he wrote shows you that that's true. He is saying that, all things told, he's walked with integrity before God. He's saying he has a wholehearted commitment to his Lord. And of course, His commitment to God includes his commitment to finding forgiveness in God. You can see that in verse 3. For I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. So this is how committed David is to his God. He's always mindful of God. He lives in reliance on God and on God's faithfulness. And of course, that includes God's faithfulness to forgive him when he gets it wrong, which of course he does. In other words, you might say David has lived with integrity in what we call a covenant relationship with God. And you will know, I'm sure, that the covenant of the Old Testament and indeed the New always made provision through sacrifice For the forgiveness of sin. And of course those animal sacrifices served as a stark reminder of how serious sin is. So David is not faultless but he is faithful to God. His sin is quickly confessed. You can see that in some of his other psalms. He walks with integrity before God. Now look, if you've been a Christian any length of time, and by the way, I'm not assuming you are here today, maybe you're just watching in, and if that's you, it's great to have you with us. But if you are a Christian, I reckon you could think of people like this in your own life. Not perfect, because none of us are, but those who live with integrity, they tell the truth 
They're devoted to God. They don't live a double life of sins and secrets. They're they're wholehearted in their devotion to Jesus. And you look at them. I bet you can imagine them in your mind right now. You look at them as a kind of shining example of what it means to follow Jesus. Now, we don't always get it right, but that actually is what Christian leaders ought to be. This is not just a psalm for David, though. It's not just a psalm for Christian leaders. This psalm is a serious challenge to all of us. This psalm, of course, was was written by David, but like many psalms, it actually came to be used by the whole people of God. This psalm came to be used or sung or said by people as they were coming to the temple to worship. Do you remember uh, three weeks ago, I think now in Psalm 24 which is another psalm that was used in worship, we came across a key question. Psalm 24, verse 3, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? In other words, who may come to worship God? And the answer we saw in that psalm was, verse 4, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. And today's psalm makes a similar point. The worshippers, as they came to the temple, would have said these words from verse 2, Test me, Lord, try me. Examine my heart and my mind. In other words, take a look at me, God. See that I, I have kept my hands clean and my heart pure. It's not that I'm faultless or perfect, but I, but I have walked before you, God, with in, integrity. And the obvious challenge for us is, can we say the same? Is your life, whilst not being perfect, is it wholeheartedly devoted to God? Are you walking in integrity with God, or is there a kind of double life of sin lurking in the background? Are you one person here at church and quite a different person at home or in the workplace or out there in the world? Could you say these words to God? And if not, what needs to change? So nothing to hide, but secondly, nothing in common. Look at verse 4 now. I do not sit with the deceitful, nor do I associate with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. And then verse 9 Do not take away my soul along with sinners, my life with those who are bloodthirsty, in whose hands are wicked schemes, whose right hands are full of bribes. So we've heard about David's own wholehearted devotion. His emphasis now is on the company that he keeps. He's saying in no uncertain terms that he does not keep company with wicked people. He is careful about who he hangs out with. And where he hangs out is not with the wicked. Now again, this might seem a bit fishy to you. You might have some questions about this. And and this is another challenging section to unpick. In fact, I'm beginning to see that when I I gave him a choice, uh, why Paul last week chose to preach Psalm 27 and not Psalm 26. I think we find these verses difficult because of the example of Jesus, who did spend his time with sinners. 
with the least and the last and the lost, right? With the prostitutes, with the tax collectors and, and all the rest. David's situation is different here. See, when he says he doesn't associate with evildoers, he actually says, verse five, verse 5, he abhors the assembly of evildoers. What he's doing is he's contrasting this assembly of the wicked with the assembly of God's people. He loves God's house, the temple. He loves God's praise. That's verses 7 and 8. We're coming to those in a minute. He loves, we might say, to, he loves his church, we might say in modern terms. David's point here is not just about who he spends his time with. It's about choosing sides in life. The question for David is, who are you going to align yourself with? Whose side are you on? Now, for David, who, remember, was a king in the ancient world, that was a very important question. Because a king would have to think very carefully about what alliances to make. You know, which other nations or kings he forms a, a bond or a treaty with. And crucially, where would these alliances lead him and his nation? Would they bring him to God or draw him away from God? Now, you may not rule a nation... Uh, you may not make political alliances, but the same basic question faces us in our lives, doesn't it? Where do we stand? Whose side are we on? Are we with God or are we with the wicked? What about the company we keep? Are they leading you towards Jesus or dragging you away from him? Now, please hear me very carefully here. We do not want to be a church that keeps a holy huddle all the time. We need to be the kind of Christians who have lots of non-Christian friends. And we need to love them and be good friends to them. And yes, we need to share the gospel with them. One of the greatest problems that many Christians have when it comes to evangelism is that they don't know any non-Christians. That's not good. And yet at the same time, we need to be wise like David. We need to be alert to the fact that the company we keep does have an effect on us. Again, do you have a whole set of friends who are completely separate from your life here amongst God's people because you are effectively leading a kind of double life? As an aside, when we're speaking about evangelism about sharing the gospel I think one of the most useful and effective things you can do evangelistically is to bring together your Christian friends and non-Christian friends sometimes those environments are are the best for beginning to share Jesus with others we need these relationships but we also need to be careful about where our relationships are leading us so nothing to hide, nothing in common. Thirdly, nothing held back. Verse 6 now. I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, Lord, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling of all your wonderful deeds. Lord, I love the house where you live, the place where your glory dwells. I suppose you can see a bit more now why this psalm came to be used in, in public worship at the, at the tabernacle and, and later at the temple. 
Inside the tabernacle stood an altar. Um, and beyond that was the tent called the most holy place. That's the place of God's presence. But between those two uh, stood what was called the laver. The laver was basically a great big wash basin where the priests would wash their hands before going on with worship. So what's being said here? David is basically saying he loves to worship. He loves what in his day would have been the tabernacle of God. He loves God's presence. He loves God's praise. And he loves the proclamation of God's word. He's a wholehearted worshiper. Presence, praise, proclamation. You see all three here. So he goes about God's altar, verse 6. The altar, remember, being the place of sacrifice. And that paves the way for sinners to enter God's presence. He's proclaiming along, verse 7, God's praise. Now, we often read Psalms by David. We kind of take it for granted that David praises God. But just think about it for a minute. Kings in the ancient world were dreadful narcissists. Generally speaking, they wanted to be the source of the praise. Some of them even wanted to be worshipped as gods. But here's great King David, Israel's greatest king, and he sees clearly that it's God and not him who deserves the praise. And what's more, David is prepared to give himself wholeheartedly to leading that praise. And he goes around, end of verse 7, telling of all God's wonderful deeds. I've said it before, I think it bears repeating, that worship and evangelism are really not very different. Praise is telling God how great he is. Evangelism is telling others how great God is. And the climax is there in verse 12. My feet stand on level ground in the great congregation I will praise the Lord. Again, just think about that. He is great King David. And in his mind's eye, as he's picturing the worship of God, he doesn't have himself up on some great stage to be praised. When King David, great King David, pictures worship, he has himself there on level ground with everybody else, just another worshiper in the crowd, adoring his God. And all of this, just to round off now, all of this is a challenge to us. Are we walking before God with integrity? We're not sinless, of course we're not, but are we wholehearted in our devotion to the Lord? Or is there a kind of double life? Do you worship on a Sunday and then frankly remain unchanged the rest of the time? Speaking of worship, what's your approach to it? Now, worship, of course, is about much more than just what we do here on a Sunday. It's about your whole life. It's about your times of individual devotion with the Lord when you read his word, when you come to him in prayer. Are you doing those? And are you enjoying God when you do? Worship is about all of life, but yes, it is also about these times when we gather here together. So let me ask you firstly, are you coming to be with God's people? David was really, really eager to be amongst God's people, praising him in the congregation with the crowd. 
I just get the impression that if you told him he could do the same thing from his living room via a screen, he wouldn't be too impressed. Don't get me wrong, technology has been a great servant during the pandemic. But as in all things, technology is a great servant and a bad master. And now the pandemic is easing. The vast majority of people are vaccinated. Our services here haven't quite returned to normal, but they're pretty close now. And so if you are watching at home, I would love to invite you to come back to be with us, to join us. Maybe you've started watching, and in fact, I know there are some people like this. You've started watching during the pandemic. Maybe you'd never have walked in the door, but you've seen it online, and you've got a taste for the things of God. Come and join us. We'd love to have you here with us. And when it comes to our gathered worship like this, sometimes I come across people who seem to have the impression That spiritual worship, you know, the really spiritual kind, must be boring and dour. As if the more miserable you look, the more spiritual you are. That is not the picture of worship that the Psalms paint. In the Psalms, people bless the Lord, they raise shouts of joy, they lift their hands in prayer. There is music and song and joy and praise and thankfulness and gratitude and, yes, reverence and worship. And there is loud singing. This Psalm challenges us to that kind of wholehearted worship and single-minded living before the Lord. But last of all, as we finish, it does one other thing for us as well. Because this psalm, like all psalms, ultimately points to Jesus. Who was the ultimate wholehearted worshipper of the Father? Jesus. Who led a life that was not just blameless in the sense of being generally wholehearted, but actually faultless? Jesus who really trusted in the Lord and never, like actually never, faltered Jesus. And here's the thing, when Jesus spent his time with the wicked, he never had to be concerned about them dragging him away into sin. No, he lifted them out of sin. With a touch, he made the unclean clean. With a word, he saved and purified. Jesus is the ultimate worshiper. And Jesus, just notice this as we finish, Jesus is the one who brings us God's presence. See the language of verse 8? Lord, I love the house where you live, the place where your glory dwells. And that word dwells there is is kind of akin, similar to the, the Hebrew word for dwelling. That word is Shekinah, if you're interested It became a kind of standard word to describe this, right? That the dwelling of God's glory. And that is exactly the language that's picked up in the New Testament in John chapter 1, speaking of Jesus. You'll recognize these words. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Let's pray together, shall we? 
just have a moment of quiet to reflect on uh, what God has been saying to you particularly. Lord, how we thank you for Jesus who came from you full of grace and of truth. Lord, whatever good we see here in David's life, we know that it's dwarfed by Jesus. And so often that David is a signpost, but Jesus is the reality. Lord, we thank you that you've sent your son that our many sins might be forgiven, that our hearts might be changed. And we pray, Lord, for your help to walk before you with integrity, to choose our company wisely, and to worship you as you deserve, wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. Please feel free to share this podcast. And if you'd like to be up to date with each week's talk, why not search Burkhead Free Church on your favorite podcast app and hit the subscribe button. For more information, go to burkheadfreechurch.org.